I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Good morning, Celtics fans, and it is a very good morning. The Celtics are two wins away from an NBA championship, baby. Let me repeat that. Two wins away from an NBA championship, baby. I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Greg Manakis. What's popping, Greg, early in the AM out there in Texas? Oh, man. I'm feeling good. Feeling great, man. Last night was such a fun game to watch. Boston Celtics go up 2-1 in the NBA Finals. Uh, Will and I did our final playback room. We watched it together. We're going to be getting together in person on Friday, um, tomorrow, for everyone that's listening in person to watch a game. So we're super excited. Hopefully the Celtics take that three, one lead in the series and we can all breathe just a little bit easier. Yo. So, uh, where are you going? Where was my invite? <laughs> you, you want to buy a plane ticket? I'm mean, dude. Yeah, I want, I, I want to go to the game. Like seeing, hearing TD garden last night, the level that that arena can get to and that crowd can get to, there's just absolutely nothing like it. You know, I went to a bunch of games during the um, the big three run back in 08, and I can still feel what that crowd felt like. Like I was at the Pierce LeBron game, game seven, and that was the cra- that was the most adrenaline I've ever felt, like secondhand adrenaline I've ever felt in my entire life. I was standing on my seat the whole time, screaming at the top of my lungs, and like nobody was yelling at me. Everybody was just like, I don't think anybody sat that entire game. And I would imagine that game three last night was very similar. I can't imagine many people spent any time in their seats. Um, They were pumped up from the beginning, you know, with the Celtics coming out in that very first play, they were in that Ram action. Marcus, you would, in the last couple games, he kind of reverted back to taking those early shots, had a a wide open three at the top of the key. Uh, Tatum got rid of the ball early, found Jalen on the left wing for a three pointer. And from that moment on, the crowd was just bananas. And even when Golden State made their run in the third, third quarter this the crowd didn't stop they they carried the guys throughout the game and the guys gave them everything that they needed to continue to feed into that crowd man like so here's the thing right i'm talking about buying a ticket going to the game i wanted to come out there and then i saw the prices of the tickets and it was going to cost me more to get into the arena than what it was to fly transatlantically stay there and then fly home you know, yeah. it was more just to walk through the door at the TD Garden. But then, like now, I'm seeing like um GRD over on um on Instagrams hosting like in person watch parties. Like you know, they've rented out a space, they've got it up on a big screen, and I'm like, man, that could be like super dope. You like do, you know? So I have toyed with the idea of coming over there. As for that Ram action, like I love the way that Mar- uh, Marcus Smart just kind of flared off of his own screen, just kind of mm-hmm. like an invert, because it, it was like an inverted ram pick and pop. Uh, yeah. It was beautiful, man. So beautiful. Yeah. And he, I mean, so, he, he he definitely made contact on the screen, but he got out of that early, right? He, he it wasn't quite a ghost screen. It wasn't quite a slip. It was kind of like in between the two. And um, I it was he, enough to force the switch. Yes, basically. Exactly. Yeah, it was enough to exactly. force the switch to get the mismatch. Um, and Smart's been great at doing that um, for a while now, to be fair. like Sometimes you see him just kind of tap someone on the back because then there's contact and now there's confusion because there wasn't a screen, but there was contacts. So and now do I, do I switch? Do I not switch? Uh, I like watching him when, I'm do- when he's doing that because I'm kind of just like, you pat someone on the back, like, tag, you're it, what you're going to do. 
And then sometimes they make the right decisions, sometimes they don't. But uh, man, the way to open up that game, the intensity, bro, the way they came out, the rim pressure, I think that was one of the biggest um, deciding factors in the first half of the game. And in the fourth quarter, to be fair, only the third, they kind of went away, was just how much they pressured that rim. You know, Rob was healthy with some bounce. It was beautiful. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. I, I mean, I, it was beautiful. It yeah, was- I think I think that's a good place to start is the rim pressure. And we can talk about Rob just kind of tangentially to that. Because the Celtics, I'm sure you've seen the numbers by now and everyone listening, you've probably seen these numbers, but we doubled up the Golden State Warriors in the paint. Points in the paint, Celtics were 52 to Golden State's 26. And throughout the game, we were relentless going to the basket, even when it didn't bear fruit. Jason Tatum missed four or five layups in that game where it, it felt like they were momentum killing missed layups and it didn't matter. We just continued to go and go and go and take advantage of the wide open middle that's been there pretty much the entire series. Will and I have been lamenting the fact that the Celtics haven't been able to get to the rim. And I thought you did a really good job um, in your game three preview, kind of breaking down as to why Golden State has been able to prevent the Celtics from getting to the rim, the way that they pinch, the way they sit on the nail. But I think last night we exposed the fact that they don't have any rim protection. Kavon Looney is giving them 17 to 20 minutes a night but he he clunks up their offense so much they can't really leave him out there for too long and we've started to take advantage <clears throat> of his kind of lumbering style on the defensive end although he can still be effective in it um he he's not the guy right he's not that guy they needed somebody else to step up into that backup center role to be athletic and they don't have anybody to do it Draymond is is their best rim protector on the team and he's been tasked with guarding Jalen Brown over the last couple of games. So we've taken him away from the rim. There's just nothing at the rim for uh, for the Celtics, and we've we've been attacking it. And I, I think we finally cracked the code of their defense, and Kerr is going to have to make a huge adjustment in game four. I mean, Franco Sola was literally, and I'm saying just as in on Thursday morning, Boston time and England time. Franco, is it Isola? Is that how I pronounce his name? Isola? I think Isola. Isola, yeah. I think it's Isola. Yeah, Frank Isola was just on NBA radio and the entire discussion was how do the Warriors find somebody like Robert Williams? Because it's clearly what they need to. I mean, these athletic rim runners, if you're not like a transcendent big man now that can shoot the free, that can play the inside out game, you need to be a rim runner. Somebody like Rob that can go down to the dunker spot, but there's still spacing available because you have to respect the love for it. And as you say, like Kevin, like Looney's great. I think Looney's a fantastic rebounder. He's a good physical presence, can give you some good defense, but he doesn't really have any spacing to his presence. Do you know what I mean? Like he's on the floor and he's kind of just there. You can leave, you can like sag off him. You don't need to worry too much as long as you're denying the passing lane. And when you're a team like the Warriors that are so motion heavy and so like they need that space to get Steph going, to give Clay room, even to get Draymond touches where he's going to be most valuable, you know, on the post, on the wings. Looney kind of does muck that up a little bit. And I think the Celtics did a really good job of making sure Looney was always being on defense. Looney was always being dragged into that painted area, defending somebody just to, keep him out of the game because they, what they were doing a lot of, they were kind of pinning him in like someone would pin him on the weak side. So he couldn't rotate over and then Tatum or Brown or whoever could just attack. Do you know what I mean? And then on, um, on the offensive end for the Warriors, Looney was just a non-factor for most of the game. I think that the rim pressure Boston found and the way they found how to kind of pin that pin Looney away from the rim and 
really beat guys off the dribble, but most importantly, shoot the gaps. So when people were pinching, it, you know, they were getting it out their their hands so quickly. Tatum was waiting for the pinch, bang, it's gone. And he, they were preempting it now rather than like game two. They were reacting to the pinch. And I think that's what forced so many turnovers because they're like, oh, damn, what have I got to do? And then in game three, they're like, right, this is coming, bang, let me get it right. And they're preempting it. And I think that Jalen Brown was a huge beneficiary of that, especially early. Because uh, he was fantastic, dude. All through the all through the game. JB, I mean, this is one of the things that I, I actually wrote down in my notes. It's just like the athletes in this series. I would say ranking the athletes, I would probably go Rob number one, right? Obviously, he's been he's he's been a little bit limited last night. He was not Andrew Wiggins number two, and then Jalen Brown number three, right? And just in terms of like pure athleticism, guys that can really tap into this extra level that nobody else can and jb in the past like he's been the best athlete on the floor he's obviously been limited slightly by some you know lingering knee tendonitis and his hamstring issues over the years but last night he was playing off of a trampoline man and when he's playing off a trampoline like that and he's so locked in that's the one thing i love about jalen brown like we've given him crap over the years for his you know lackadaisical off-ball defense and there was one huge moment it was actually right after that block that he had on clay um where he played great you know help side defense on him you know um ended up blocking the shot from behind and then on the very next inbound he let up an you know wide open layup for jordan Poole just because he like wasn't watching where his man was but jb in general last night was so dominant on the on both ends of the court really with his athleticism and his ability to get out and transition to the point where Jason Tatum threw up that alley-oop for him like he was Rob Williams on that fast break where Horford ended up missing those two free throws right afterwards and JB looked at at Tatum he was like what was that man like I can't get up <laughs> like that anymore and Tatum kind of smiled and I'm like my bad but when when Jalen is you know, I think Wiggins is the better athlete between the two. But last night, I think Jalen used his athleticism the best of anybody else on the court, aside from Rob Williams. So one of the most confusing things for me with Jalen recently, like over like the last 18 months, has been his explosive. Like he's super explosive. We know that. But seeing him explode off that first step is quite rare. You know what I mean? We see he likes to set guys up and then, or he'll cut off ball catch and then explode to the rim, but exploding off the dribble off that first step and just getting by his man early. You don't see that too much. And I think that we started to see that more and more as the postseason has wore on. And then like, you know, game three was the pinnacle of that. Like this is Jalen Brown when he wants to explode off the dribble and just get by you get downhill get the ball out of his hands if you rotate over or punish you if you don't. And I think that as much as we say Tatum needs to see the ball fall to be, uh, you know, everyone's waiting for Tatum to, to hit that first shot because they're like, once he hits one, he's going to hit more. I feel like Brown's built in a very similar mold, except Brown needs to have his early explosion to be able to sustain his impact throughout a game. I think games where Brown doesn't score 10 or more in the first quarter are games where he doesn't really shine throughout and being able to just he i feel like he was just the best offensive player <clears throat> on the floor in that first half of the game and that floor included steph curry jason tatum and clay thompson and just he was better than all of them for that first 24 minutes yeah and he was a majority of the time he was covered by draymond and i think he he took game two personally because draymond bullied him 
and Draymond bullied the entire roster in game two. And I think the the roster and the team came together and they said, that's not going to happen in game three. And it looked like Jalen, there was one possession early in the game where he had an opportunity to get an inverted um, pick and roll with smart and just force a switch so he could get Curry on him. And he had Draymond um, covering him at the top of the key and he waved smart off. He put, he, he was like, no, nah, I got this. I'm going to take Draymond off the dribble. He took him out to half court, brought Draymond out to half court with him. And they, exactly like you said, he used that first step. He just hit him with a quick little hezzy in and out, got to a strong right hand, dropped his shoulder, got by Draymond. And that, I think that was the one where he um, did that little like Euro floater in the lane. And, he, he like right from that play, he was like, you know what, Draymond, I, I'm going to take this challenge. I'm going to go at you. You're not going to bully me in this game. And there were multiple moments in the game last night where, where Jalen took the challenge of going at Draymond Green, one of the best defenders in the league. And he won that matchup more often than he did not. And that that's huge for the Celtics because that was that was Kerr's, you know, ace ace in the hole is put Draymond on Jalen Brown and the Celtics aren't going to be able to do anything. He had to go to that in game two. That's probably something Kerr didn't want to go to until later in the series. But after the Celtics won game one, he had to expose his hand and expose his move. And and we took advantage of it. You know, that they won game two because of that move. We Ime has been great and the Celtics have been great at making adjustments. It's a reason why we haven't lost two games in a row since the end of March. And we we came out and we we were the better team from the moment that game started last night we were clearly the better team. And that's encouraging because I felt like the Warriors for the most part have outplayed the Celtics in this series leading up to last night, aside from that big fourth quarter in game one. So for the Celtics to play probably better for, I would say 42 out of the 48 minutes, maybe 40 out of the 48 minutes last night, um, the Celtics were definitely the better team. Even in that third quarter, right? Like where, Golden State go on their run. They bring it. They get back into the game. They take the lead for a very split second. It didn't feel like game one and game two where you're like, oh, this could go either way. Like, mm-hmm. bust. It still felt like there was a certain level of control. You know, that Golden State bring it back, and then you're like, I'm watching it. And I'm not that bothered. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But how are you going to sustain the rest of this game? You, you're known for your big third quarter, but. The Celtics have proven they can get to the rim whenever they want. So unless you're going to keep this level of intensity you're showing right now, there's no way you're going to hang with them all the way through to the end. And that's what proved to be the case. And I think that Tatum as well, uh, instead of kind of barging his way through, really looking to like barrel guys over, he kind of meshed his... Because before he was too skillful, he never used his physicality enough. And everyone was like, he needs to learn to draw fouls. He needs to learn how to use his body more. This season, I felt like it's gone the other way where it's, dude, you need to use a bit of finesse too. Because right now you're a bulldozer and it doesn't always work in your favor. Then in that fourth, I think Tatum kind of blended the two really well. He bulldozed his way around, like from the nail down into about four feet away and then he'd go finesse with the finger rolls or the up and unders and i think that when you're talking about the way steve kerr's got to make adjustments you've put draymond on on Jalen brown it worked for one game game two it doesn't work who do you switch on to tatum at this point because andrew wiggins has done a good job but i don't think he's gonna like if tatum's figured it out if he's figured out how to get wiggins onto his hip you know, if the Celtics are just going to keep putting Steph in pick and rolls, keep putting, try and bring Clay into there and put like, target Clay. Andrew Wiggins is going to be null and void. He's going to be spending time guarding Horford. Do you know what I mean? And that's, you know, no disrespect to Horford. So I just don't know where 
Steve Kerr's adjustments come from, next level, next round of adjustments come from, without going deeper into his bench? So the first thing that came to mind was just switch the matchup. Draymond guard Tatum and Wiggins guard Brown, um, just so they can see something different. Wiggins has actually played really well against Jalen. He's blocked a couple of his shots. Um, I think Jalen struggles with that length. Man, Wiggins' arms are so long. And like I said, Jalen is one of the best athletes in the series, but I think Wiggins is just like one level above just because he's taller than him and he's a little bit longer than him. And he's probably just as bouncy as Jalen is. So I think that could be something they try, but that would, that would require Draymond to be at the point of attack on defense pretty much the whole game because of the, how much Tatum initiates the offense for the Celtics. And I don't think they want Draymond all the way at the top of the key. The, one of the reasons why it works on Jalen Brown is because Jalen Brown plays off ball so frequently Draymond can still be in help, you know, guarding Jalen. And then when the ball goes to Jalen on a swing, he can then, you know, body up to him. So I don't think that's a viable option for them. I think Wiggins has to be better for sure. Um, the one guy on the bench, just in terms of matching athleticism, they have one of the best young athletes in the league in Kaminga. They did yeah. try Kaminga against Tatum in the regular season, and Tatum Tatum abused him. But Kaminga does offer that next-level elite athleticism that I think Kerr's probably going to try out. I don't think that's something he wanted to go to in Game 3 because – as I said earlier, the Warriors were probably the better team through two games. So for Kerr, it's like, why do I need to go to this adjustment if I don't see the reason to go to it? But now that they got dominated so heavily, um, just in terms of athleticism, physicality in game three, I think that's definitely something he's going to have to go to. So one lineup I was thinking about um, that they they might want to try out is, is, is a lineup in which they go, may, it, it might be too clunky, but if they go loony, um, Steph, Kaminga, Wiggins, and Draymond. Like, there's only one shooter on the floor in Steph. But if it's if it's just for a moment, right? If it's a four minute stretch, you can you can ask Steph to like really carry the offense in that moment. You can ask Wiggins to be extra aggressive and look to get a shot in that moment, and just be like, we need to play defense to get out in transition. Like, this is going to yeah. be a transition lineup. We're going to show just like they did in Game Two. Our defense is going to be our best offense. And, you know, that's the key to beating the Celtics team. They, they, they said the number on the broadcast last night. If they turn the ball over more than 15 times, they lose. If they turn the ball over less than 15 times, they normally win. And when they turn the ball over 12 times, they never lose, right? 12 times seems to be that in the magic number where the Celtics will not lose a game if they turn the ball over 12 or less times. I think that you bring Kaminga in, that makes sense. As you say, a four-minute sample size makes sense just to see where, where you're coming from, right? And then you can start moving things around. One thing I will say on Draymond as well, before I touch on the rebounding, which is another big aspect in this game, is the whole Warriors' like defensive scheme is very similar in terms of having a rover, having somebody in that free safety role. That's Draymond. I read someone write it out in the way of like Draymond is elite at playing cat and mouse games with people as, as like, um, as a helper, you know, knowing when to dig, knowing when to recover, knowing when to fully help off, knowing when to kind of sag. So you're kind of splitting the difference between the guy driving and the guy that you're meant to be guarding. Like that's where Draymond's at his best. And by, if you can force the Warriors into having to move him more towards the perimeter, more towards a point of attack defender, you've taken them away from their entire game plan. You've taken them away from what made them such an elite defense throughout the regular season and leading into the finals. 
And in my opinion, if they ever do that, if they decide that that's what they need to do, that might be them waving the white flag. Do you know what I mean? And being like, do you know what? Yeah, we're going to have to blow up everything defensively that got us this far because we need to figure out how to stop Tatum. And we think that Wiggins' athleticism matches up better with Brown than what Green's IQ and physicality does. That could, it is physically feasible. I do think they tried Kaminga first though, just because Kaminga's got the length, you know, and whether or not it's on Tatum, whether they try and put Kaminga down as more of a rim protector due to his explosiveness, something like we envisioned with Gary Payton in the second, right? We expected him to be like an undersized rim protector because he could explode at the rim. And we haven't really seen it, but Kaminga makes sense there. Now, moving on to the to the rebounds. The most important thing for me was the defensive boards, right? Like Boston have been really bad giving up offensive rebounds. And the Warriors, have, without even without their size, it's been corner crashes that has got them to where they needed to be in terms of getting the ball back. Then you come into this game and things are just a little bit different. Like I feel like the Celtics' physicality on the glass was like hot, far more intense. I feel like they were really boxing out. They were throwing their shoulders into guys. They were grabbing rebounds left, right, and center. Obviously, having a 60 to 70% version of Robert Williams is far more impactful than the 20 to 30% Robert Williams we've been seeing recently. But man... The fact that they limited second chance points and then they got so many second chance points on the offensive. And that to me was one of the most telling aspects of this size, length, physicality and athleticism all blending in for the first time in this series. Probably the first time in the since the, the net series, if I'm being honest, where every aspect of their defense just seemed to be working. You know, they're tall, they're long, they're switchable, they're explosive. And I just don't know if they can continue that level of intensity on both both the offensive and defensive glass. I don't know where the Warriors go to next to try and generate or limit second chance opportunities or fast break opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts with Rob, as you said, getting 70% Rob. I, I think I would give him 70% last night if we're going to throw um, arbitrary numbers. <laughs> I think he was probably 70% last night. But in terms of the numbers of offensive rebounding, the Celtics had 15 offensive rebounds. Golden State Warriors had six. And, you know, Rob had three offensive rebounds. Grant Williams had three offensive rebounds. And those two guys, they need to be physical. They need to be, you know, the 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 big bads on the block as opposed to what the Warriors can really offer there. So I think I think with um, with the rebounding advantage, it all starts with Rob. And I'm a little concerned going into game four, whether Rob is going to be able to bounce back with only one day off between the two games. You know, it was really interesting to me, Adam. I don't know if you saw this quote, but they asked Rob what was different. Like, how was he able to get his body ready for this game and look so explosive? And he said that he rode a bicycle before the game. And... I was wondering, I was like, how has he not ridden a bicycle before these other games? It seems like such an obvious <laughs> way to get his knee ready. Like anytime I'm feeling a little loose, I'm feeling a little tight and I want to get loose. One of the first things I'll do is hop on a bike, especially if it's my knee that's giving me some issues. So I'm like, yo, Boston Celtics training staff, how have we not thrown Robert Williams on a bicycle before <laughs> this game? I don't know if Rob just kind of misspoke. Um, like it, I'm sure they've had him on a bike before, but that that just seemed crazy to me that this was maybe the first time he's ridden a bike before a game. It could have been. You just don't know, right? Like they might have been worried about inflaming it more. Sometimes the bike can put pressure on the joint. 
I mean, I mean, I'm not a PT, so I'm not going to go into like, at, like I actually know the true reasoning why you wouldn't do it, but that would be my personal uneducated assumption. Um, I do, I did see him say as well, like the extra days rest helped a bunch. Uh, he, like it felt loose. His knee just felt looser and he just felt like there was less pain there. Now it's a quick turnaround to game four, you know, like, which is a bit like, oh man, we just got a good version of Rob. We saw our impact fully can be. Can he recover and return to that level again with a two-day turnaround? It's not even a two-day turnaround. It's 24 hours of rest, and then you're playing the next afternoon or the next evening. Uh, or in my, if, you, if you're in my country, it's a two-day turnaround because <laughs> you won't watch it until Saturday. But um, that that's a concern to me because that version of Rob that we saw with the arbitrary 70%, you know, we are just going to throw numbers around. That version of Rob is the guy that's going to help you win the NBA championship. The version you got in game one and game two, where he's a bit more of a passenger. Do you know what I mean? And that that's concerning because you saw the impact he had when he had that bounce, the rebounding, the the offensive boards, just the fact that all of a sudden Golden State are like, yo, this dude's hops are kind of there. We're going to have to really respect him in this dunker spot. No one's helping off him. And just the fact that that opened up so much for the offense, even when he wasn't touching the ball, if he comes back in game four and he's game one, game two, Rob, that's a concern because you're like, man, they haven't got to adjust for that now. Do you know what I mean? You're taking away their need to adjust. Hopefully they adjust anyway and it's an over-adjustment and then you're kind of living in a gray area. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we call him Lob Williams, right? He, that That's what he does better than, than anybody in the league is catch those lobs and just like thinking about how the Celtics played offense during the regular season when they were on that crazy stretch, that lob over the top and that vertical threat was such a big part of their offense. There was at least, you know, there are some games where he'd get three or four lobs in the, in the same game. And we haven't seen that much in this postseason. We've seen him. I, I would imagine he's probably caught less than maybe 10 lobs. I would say definitely less than 15 in this postseason. Um, he just, it just hasn't really been there and he hasn't played that much. So when Horford that threw that pass to, to him over the top in the fourth quarter, that was a huge momentum um, gainer for this, for the Celtics. That was probably the highest I've seen him jump for a lob in this postseason. And then on the de- defensive end, that shot, the floater he blocked on Seth Curry, where uh, in real time, it almost looked like a goaltend and you go back and you watch it and you're like, wow, he got that right at the apex of, of the parabola. I think with, with Rob playing on that level, golden state is kind of screwed. Honestly, like Will and I have been talking about this all season. We've been predicting the Celtics would, well, not all season, but since the turnaround, we've been predicting the Celtics would win the finals as long as Robert Williams was healthy. And we got a healthy enough Rob last night and, you know, we said that 70% number, I think overall, yes, that's probably the number that he was at last night. But in terms of just his ability to get up and be strength and be springy, I'd probably even put that number closer, like 85%, 90%. Yeah, in terms of bounce, like, yeah. I, I'd give you that, yeah. I mean, I tweeted it out saying, like, in my opinion, this was his best game of the postseason. I, I don't think that's arguable for impact. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to measure everything in impact. Uh, I think this was his best game as the postseason. I did like how you called it the parabola. Like I haven't heard anyone say the parabola or the shot. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is. You know, I just usually say arc, but yeah. uh, I like <laughs> it, man. Dropping some math on us, dude. Dropping some, an English teacher dropping math. I like it. The parabola. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just had to point that out because it made me chuckle. I wanted to explain why I chuckled. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry, I've lost my train of thought. It's all good, I man. Mean, it's all good. Like, from there, like, you know, there was a moment in time where I felt like Horford had kind of figured things out as well. I feel like he was forcing things in game two. He was definitely trying to force a lot of post-ups in game it was two. Inter- it's just started. interesting, though, in the third quarter, he was terrible. He was really bad in that third quarter. He was he was not, um, you know, you, you've talked a lot about the, this, the Celtics pick and roll defense and the fact that they need to be higher up, um, yeah. you know, in a shallow drop, as I think you called it. And Horford was just not in the right spot in that third quarter. And Steph just walked into a whole bunch of threes. And then they actually went back to Rob, you know, and that was one of the the biggest things that changed in that third quarter run is Horford was just getting toasted and pick and roll. Van Gundy even mentioned it in the fourth quarter when they brought him back in. He was like, I'm surprised they haven't tested Horford again in this fourth quarter because that was such an important staple in their offense in the third quarter. But Rob came back in and he completely changed the game on defense. So there was a point where they were hunting Rob as well. Like, and, uh, I've been looking into a lot about, of cancelling screens. Like, so you do, when you cancel the screen, you basically fight against the screener to stop the screen ever occurring. So you know the screen's coming and you you know you go belly to belly with them or whatever you need to do to stop that pick and roll occurring or forcing somebody else to come from the opposite side or from and set a screen so you know if you're trying to avoid too much of a mismatch on a switch you'll cancel the first screen and hope they set a second where they're not gaining as much of an advantage and i feel like the celtics kind of got caught up doing that for a little bit especially when um the warriors were running like um side pick and rolls on the wing to get Steph the ball like curling over and they were try- trying to switch him on to Rob knowing that Rob was playing higher up and he was taking the space away so if we run it on the side Steph's gonna have Steph's gonna have him on his hip so you're either gonna get fouled or you're gonna get to the rim so I felt like Boston kind of got in this cat and mouse game where they're trying to cancel that side pick and roll to keep Rob out of it they're still finding ways to successfully set it. Rubs too far back. Steph's firing away. So there was a few adjustments like that that I found quite interesting. I don't know whether the Warriors feel like they've found something there in terms of how to attack Rub. You know, take it to the wing, set the screen on the wing, use the baseline as an extra defender or like an extra um, offensive piece, if you will, to kind of force Rub onto your hip either on the outside or the inside and use the baseline as that extra helper. I'm not sure, but it, I definitely thought that there was a moment in time where the Warriors were trying to target Rob in that pick and roll. And I, I just found that interesting because I'm like, dude, you're not going to pull up on him. No one's pulling up on Rob Williams when there's only a foot or two of gap, which means you must feel very confident about your ability to put him on your hip early and keep him there. So I just found that an interesting little caveat. Yeah, and I think one of the big things the Celtics did to kind of counteract that in the fourth quarter is just be more physical and staying more attached to the ball handler, Marcus Smart being, you know, the main guy that did that. He upped his physicality in that fourth quarter to a level we we haven't seen so far in the series where it seemed like he took that third quarter explosion personally. And he said, I'm going to, you know, we're not even going to get to the point where Steph is able to walk into a three-pointer because I'm going to stay attached to him and just make his life a living hell. And I thought Marcus really wore Steph down um, as that game kind of wore on. You know, it's interesting when you look at the overall numbers for Steph, it felt like because of that third quarter that he would have had like 40 to 45 points. He ended a game with 31 points, which obviously is a good number. It's a great number, but it's the, the, the way that Steph can go on those, those runs when they happen 
especially when it's the third quarter and they all happen like in the, in the same moment, it really did feel like he dominated the entire game, but he didn't, he only, he only played well really in that third quarter and the Celtics, I thought executed their game plan the best that they've done um, all series in, in that game last night. And then Curry just got super hot in the third quarter, even, even when they did play a good defense on him, he he knew the shot was going in every single time that he was letting it go. There are some times with Steph where you can see the moment he releases it, he knows that it's money. And there were like four or five shots in a row that he did that. And then finally, um, he missed one at the end of the third quarter. And it looked like it was going in. It rimmed out. He thought it was going in. And from that moment on, I don't think he made another three in the game. And you just got like, my outlook on it is you live with Steph Curry making threes. You just gotta be. You gotta. You do everything you can to make it as hard as possible to wear him down, to bump him, to stay in front of him. You know, just to make him throughout the game start to lose a little bit of lift on that shot. But at the end of the day, you live with them because you know it's going to happen. Yeah, it's like getting on a plane and like just turbulence. You know, it's not something you like, and it doesn't always happen. But when it does, you expected it as a chance. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you, you throw up. Yeah, sometimes you throw up on the old lady next to you, and that's okay. You know, <laughs> but I, I think for the Warriors, that's got to be a little concerning. Is that Steph went six for eleven, Clay went uh, what was he five for five for thirteen or something like that from three. So I think combined they were eleven for twenty four from the three point line. The Splash Brothers, and when you get eleven for twenty four performance out of Thompson and Curry as a Warriors fan, you normally expect to win those games. And they lost by 16 points last night. That's got to be very, very concerning if you're a Warriors fan. And I don't, I mean, I would expect because they're going to have their backs against the wall in game four, it's going to be a much closer game. And I probably even think that the Warriors are going to win game four just because I trust their championship pedigree and their DNA. But the one thing, even more than the fact that, you know, some guys didn't show up for the Warriors. Steph got rolled up on, on that loose ball, man. And he was apparently by all reports was walking gingerly. It's the same foot that Marcus Smart rolled up into in the regular season. And he was grabbing at it And it. That's scary. If you're a Warriors fan, Clay Thompson even said it. He was like, you gotta be healthy because without him, we're not winning the series. So if Clay, if Clay Thompson is saying that, then I mean, as a Warriors fan, you got to start to feel like they're starting to make excuses already and I can't feel good. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I saw some people saying Draymond was being dirty. And not sorry, Draymond. Draymond. There was a lot of talk about Draymond being dirty. I saw a lot of people saying that Horford was being dirty when he yeah. died for that no, he ball. And I'm just like, no, dude. Like, you know, we're not going to talk about when Draymond's literally grabbing Tatum Boy's bad shoulder and ragging him around on, on the kick yeah. when they're boxing. You know, like, if we're going to do that, we do it both ways. Me personally, I'm like, I want them to be physical. So it is what it is. It's unfortunate. Hopefully, I want and I want the Celtics to win without an asterisk. So hopefully, and, Steph comes back and, and he's dude, fine. It, like if you're saying Horford rolled up on Steph, that that that's a stupid take. First of all, but secondly, if you're Steph Curry and there's a scrum around you and the ball's at your feet, don't bend over and grab the ball. Right, get on the floor immediately, and then that won't that you know that won't be the case. You won't put yourself in that position. And he kind of like, I mean, he put himself in that position to get rolled up on. And he he did go to the floor eventually, but I don't I don't think Horford was rolling up like intentionally into his leg. Nah. Steph kind of like shielded the ball with his body, and then Horford's just a much larger human being, and therefore he ended up on top of Steph. But that yeah, that's that's a stupid take if people are gonna say Horford intentionally tried to hurt Steph Curry. 
yeah, I'm not I'm not down for it at all. Like I say, I don't want an asterisk over the, over a championship. So, you know, personally, I'd like Steph to be healthy because when the Celtics do win, if they win, when they win, then you can be like, right, you know, they had the toughest route possible to the championship. And that the every, okay, team secondary stars might not have been around. You know, there weren't no Chris Middleton, fine, but Giannis was there. There weren't no, um, who else am I thinking of? Carl Lowry weren't really Carl Lowry. Jimmy Butler was there. Oh, Steph, you know, Steph was there. No, no matter who else isn't there, Steph Curry was there. And that's how I'd like to be able to argue like that or rationalize that when in 10, 20, 30 years when I'm telling the grandkids about the best finals run of all time. So I, I definitely want them to be healthy. I do think that we're going to see a big change in, uh, like, I want to see the Celtics get punched in the mouth early just like they did in game two, but I want to see them respond because what we're yet to see is them come back from winning a game, get punched and figure out a way to win. We haven't seen it since the start of the Miami series. It's been, we hit you, you you're rocked. We win the game. You hit us. We're dazed and confused. You win the game. I want to see like the Tyson Fury game where you hit us, knock us to the floor. Everyone thinks it's over. And then we rise like the undertaker and figure out a way to make it three, one going back to San Francisco. That's what I want. And I, I genuinely think there's a high possibility of that happening. If Robert Williams is at the same level he was in game three. I yeah, do think it's, like, it's, a, it's the mid, it's the mid round comeback, right? It's like the Celtics. It's always at the end of the round. They're sitting on the stool in the corner, you know, the cut man's working on them. The coach is letting them know, like, here's the adjustment you need to make. And that's in between games. We haven't seen that Tyson Fury moment. I think that's a great, a great analogy is to be able to get hit, get rocked and say, you know what? I, I'm, I still got to be out here for the next minute and a half. You know, if, 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 if I don't fight back now, I'm going to get knocked out. And we haven't really seen that out of the Celtics, that that grit within within a game to come back. I, I think you can make an argument on some level last night that that they did, you know, that big run in the third quarter. We withstood that. But to me, that was more the Warriors um, getting, you know, getting hot from three. There's something you were talking about earlier, the, their inability to sustain that third quarter run. Because if you think about what that third quarter run was, it was just them hitting three pointers. Right. That's they they were unable to yeah. get into the paint and they just got hot from three. And then once the three stopped falling, they didn't really have anything for us um, because our defense was just so good. And then we we were just the better team last night. What's your prediction for game four? Celtics win. And I reckon it's going to be, I think if anything, I've kind of got a feeling Celtics winning overtime. I don't okay. know why, but I just feel cool. like that's how it's going to be. Have we seen an overtime game in this playoffs? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I've just got a feeling this is going to be the game. If there was ever a game that was going to go to overtime, I think it's this one. Was it this because season in which so. the Celtics went to overtime like a whole bunch of times at the beginning of the season? Yeah, it was. Yeah, and it was like every it was like every other game, right? Yeah, so time. it would be yeah, it would be yeah. fitting. It would be fitting if if uh, we had at least one overtime game in these finals. I'd also prefer it to be on a weekend where I don't have school runs and stuff to do in the Friday extra, night. Friday yeah, night, the, the extra period of overtime usually throws my day completely out of sync. So uh, having it on the weekend where I can just like you know chill, pour a glass of whiskey, relax like that. That's what I want, man. Give me the overtime game as long as it's a win. I love it. I love, are you gonna your... stay, are you gonna stay up for game four and watch it live? No chance. The only game I'm staying up for is I'll stay up from when it's knockout games where it's win or do or die games. So if the Celtics win on Friday, I'll be staying up for every game 
from then or I'll be waking up to watch them. Got you. So in your time, you're five hours ahead. So, so they're starting at 2 a.m. Oh, dude, you, you could wake up for that. Yeah, I could, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm up hey. at 6 a.m. every day, dude, man. I'd like, you know, if I'm... You remember, if I can't... Dude, do you remember that one podcast I did uh, when I woke up at like four in the morning here to, to do a pod with you? That was fun, man. Just have some fun with it. I told you you were crazy at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated it, but I was like, dude, you're nuts. And I think I remember saying to you, I would never have done this. Yeah, you so. did. You did say that. <laughs> like, I'm like, dude, I wake up at 6 a.m. every day, like, um, for over to get get a jump start on my day of work. I like to do my X's and O's research. Like, I always want to learn something new each week. So I like to get, like, the 6 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. before, like, everyone else is up and around and bothering me that's kind of my study time i like to wake up get a coffee and start studying the game um i'm not swapping that out for anything dude because that's my hour and 30 minutes of solitude so until it's knockout games and like because if i wake up if i go to sleep at nine wake up at two to watch the game i'm up then my day starts at 2 a.m and i'm up until the next like until midnight the next day i'm not going back to bed Okay. So I'm like, man, that's, it has to be. Yeah, in, in my mind, in my mind, you would watch the game and then go back to bed. Now I've got the kids getting up. Then it's, you know, then there's a school run to do. Then I've got work to do. Got the wife. You guys have Uber happen. there? She's not old enough to put in an Uber on her own yet, man. <laughs> I have considered it. <laughs> Throw her in an Uber. You'll, she'll, she'll make it. Yeah, she'll make it. But I don't think my wife would let me make it to the next day. She would kill me, man. Uh, right then, what's your um? I've got a bounce in a sec because I got I've got to go do the score. Talking of the score run, it's time to pick her up. So, um, what's your prediction? I think the Warriors get Game Four. I, I think the the Celtics win Games Five and Game Six to win to win the title. I think the Warriors nah, are going to bounce back here. I think the Road Warriors, um, meaning the Celtics, are going to are going to come back and get the game on uh, Game Five, and then we'll close it out Game Six. That was my prediction. Celtics win in six. Um, and that's kind of see how I see it happening. I see them winning in six two, but I see them winning game four, losing game five, winning game six. Yeah, I, I, I could get down with that as well. I just I just think the Warriors are going to come out and um, I don't know, man. I I I don't buy into the whole referee theory, but if there was ever a game in which in which the NBA wanted um, you know wanted the Warriors to win, I think it would be game four. But I think if it's a fair whistle, if it's an even whistle, the Celtics win the game. If it's slightly tilted towards the Warriors, if they get some calls early, Tatum or Brown gets in foul trouble, or Draymond's allowed to play football instead of basketball, I think that's how the Warriors, that's the recipe for the Warriors to win. Um, but if it's even, if it's an even whistle, I give it to the Seas. If Draymond's allowed to play football, you draft in Ima Udoka and you tell Udoka to guard Draymond. Doka's gonna manhandle him, dude. He's so big though. He's just gonna throw him around like a doll. Right then, everybody, if you've enjoyed this show, make sure to go and uh like and subscribe. We've had a few new ratings the last few days. I've very much enjoyed reading them because they're all friendly. If you do if you do want to leave a rating, but it's because there's an issue, maybe you don't like the sound quality, maybe you want us to talk about, you know, room, I don't know, whatever it is you want us to talk about, just DM me. We can talk it out. We'll try and incorporate what you're looking to hear from us. Make sure you um, you share it on social media. You know, that helps us a bunch. Uh, you know, share it on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. Create your own social media. Share it there. Word of mouth, again, absolutely vital. And before we go, my boy Greg is in a band. 
The band's yes. name is Black Sheep Optimist. That's Black Sheep Optimist. They play the outro to this show every episode. We put it on every episode. And Greg's going to tell you about any new music he's got coming out. And if he hasn't got any new music, he's just going to say bye. <laughs> yeah, so my band, Black Sheep Optimists, uh, make sure you go look us up on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music. The song that you're going to hear on the way out is called D-Lo. That was off our first EP called Book One that we released uh, during the pandemic, the first summer of the pandemic. And uh, I guess we're still in the pandemic. But we ha- we actually have a big show on Saturday, which is uh, at this uh, first annual hip hop festival here in Austin, Texas. It's going to be like this. Um, it's it, Dude, it's from like 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. the next day and it's going to be 105 degrees here in austin texas but it's cool because it's like a river float so people are going to be able to float the river while they're listening to the music um, i'm super excited about that it's going to be really fun so if you if you happen to be living in austin texas um listening to this podcast definitely dm me and i can i think the event's free but i can give you the information for that and we do have new music coming out uh, later this summer. We have, I mean, we've, dude, we have probably 25 songs that are just waiting to be released right now. So definitely come follow us. If you like hearing um, my voice on a track, if you like hearing it on the podcast, make sure you show some love. Um, drop me a DM. I, I appreciate, I actually got a, I didn't, I don't think I told you this, Adam. I got um, a DM from, from somebody, I forget who it was that was telling me that they really enjoyed hearing me on this pod. They look forward to any episode that I'm on. And I, I just, I, that was really cool to hear that because yeah, sometimes, sometimes nice. I feel more like a hindrance than a help. <laughs> nah, you're always a, you're always a good, how can I put it? You're always a help. Let's just put it that way. Right. Everybody um, make sure to tune in. And if Greg's putting out music, I'll definitely share it when it happens. I've got to go because I'm behind schedule. So everybody have a good day. Greg, it's been a hot minute since we recorded together, so it was a pleasure, my good sir. Uh, thank you for waking up early again, and uh, we'll catch you all soon. Let's go, C's. Disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time, keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness, expected that he might fail, and I might too. I might never get to pop champagne, celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am, it's something that I do.